0: morning again. If you would, please uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And we'll be reading from verses 5 to verse 12. Matthew chapter 16, 5 through 12. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Verse 5 says, and the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They began to discuss among themselves, saying, He said that because we did not bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not understand or remember the five loaves and the five of the, of the 5,000 and the many baskets full uh, you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of the bread but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for this moment of time where Christ was involved in teaching the disciples. I pray now that the Holy Spirit would illumine our minds and our hearts so that we can understand the teaching and the warning, apply it to our own lives. Father, help us to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers. Let us practice this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. disciples disciples must guard themselves of false teaching and continually remember God's grace that's what uh, uh, disciples must do and when I think about a disciple I'm not thinking of some person that's often in seminary somewhere someone preparing for ministry some archbishop of something but rather I'm thinking anyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal savior should be a disciple a disciple of, of Jesus and Disciples must guard themselves of false teaching and continually remember God's grace. God's grace in that moment of salvation, that, that moment where they felt the conviction of sin and they turned to Christ and what He did on the cross to save them of their sins, but also continue remembering the grace of God through one's life, uh, also through the Scriptures, how God provided in different times, and also uh, in the course of history. There have been people who have been dependent upon God and and there were difficult situations and God provided for them. And these things, uh, we should remember these. We should bring them back to our memory and and help remind ourselves of God's grace in our life. Uh, This short narrative, this short story here, uh, can really be divided up into three sections. And the first one is to watch and beware. Watch and beware. And that's uh, verses 5 and 6. Well, notice here that in verse uh, 5, it says that the disciples came to the other side of the sea. The reason they are coming to the other side of the sea is because in verse 4 of the same chapter, it ends with saying that, uh, and he left, that's Jesus, left them and went away. You remember that the Pharisees and the Sadducees came together. uh, They joined forces to be able to try to test Jesus. And wanting to test him to see, uh, to give a sign, a a sign from heaven. And at a certain point, he decides to depart from them. Now, this is is something harsh that sometimes we don't think about. Uh, There is no future for them apart from Christ. There, There isn't. If Christ departs from them, they have no future, they have no hope. It's game over. Yet they don't realize this, and and they're okay with this. Now, this is an aspect of God that we don't tend to speak very much about, about how um, God separates himself from certain people. And the reason is is that sometimes we like to emphasize God's love and God's mercy. And and that's true. We'll focus our preaching on his love, and he is a loving God. God is love. Uh, He is a merciful God. Uh, Sometimes we don't want to talk about God separating because we know about uh, Jesus Christ, he humbled himself to the point of putting on flesh and coming down to us. Uh, so there's, there's that aspect, and then sometimes we kind of put into characters, it's not really true, but it, it's this character that the God of the Old Testament is this God of wrath and anger, and he's always telling Israel to go kill off a bunch of people, whereas the God of the New Testament, he's, he's this loving God, he's just happy, he's merciful, he's willing to embrace just anybody. And sometimes because we have this wrong character of the Old Testament and New Testament, sometimes we we get stuck on a certain side or certain characteristics about God and we don't kind of disclose fully of who He is. Now, God does at a certain point abandon, walk away from certain people. And let me just be very, very clear here. When God enters into a covenant relation with someone he will be faithful to uphold his promise regardless of how unfaithful the other party is. When God goes into a covenantal relationship with someone, he will stay true to his promise regardless of how unfaithful the other person is. I'll use, for example, Abraham. Remember Abraham? Uh, He's uh, uh, had all this faith. Uh, Abraham believed God and was counted to righteousness, yet he goes down to Egypt and uh, he sees Pharaoh's army and he considers his own capacity to defend his wife or really to defend himself. And he says, you know what, honey? Uh, just tell him we're brother sister. You sister. Know, let's just leave it at that. Uh, he deceived Pharaoh. Uh, or you remember Isaac. Remember that Isaac, the same thing happened with Abimelech where uh, he, he saw that uh, Abimelech was a lot stronger than him. And so he said, you know, um, let's just lie about this that you're just my sister. Or how about Jacob? Boy, Jacob was something. Uh, Jacob, he uh, he tricked his dad. He had two wives, two concubines. It says in uh, Genesis 31 that he deceived his father-in-law. He waited for him to go uh, take care of the sheep, and then while he was gone doing that, shearing the sheep, he and his wives and concubines, they take off back to the promised land. He deceived them. Uh But see, God had entered into a promise with him at Bethel. If you go to Genesis chapter 28, verse 13 and 15, it says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and in the descendants shall be all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Did God know at this time in Bethel, before he went to Laban's house, all the disasters that Jacob was going to do? Oh, yeah, he did. And yet he says that he will remain promised until he will remain faithful until he accomplishes everything that he has promised to Jacob. See, when God enters into a covenant relationship with someone, he will remain faithful regardless if the other party does not. But there are certain certain people that God will walk away from, and those who he walks away from are those who are sinful. Now we have to understand. All of us are sinful. Romans 3.23 says uh, we are all sinful. We are all sinners. And therefore, uh, God cannot have fellowship with us. In fact, we know that the consequence of our sin is uh, death, Romans 6.23. Automatically, our sin separates us from God. It's not like we're born and and we have a good relationship and then somewhere along the line... uh, we, we kind of go astray, and because we go astray, then people, uh, they become sinners. No, no, no. We are born with God's wrath upon us. We're, we're separated from God. Now, that's true, but every once in a while, and I say every once in a while, the majority of people, they harden their hearts towards God. Uh, you'll remember in uh, in Exodus that uh, God told Moses and Aaron, to go and talk to Pharaoh. They wanted uh, Pharaoh to let Israel go so that they could go worship. You remember the story. They go up to Pharaoh, and they tell him, and Pharaoh's response is found in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. Exodus chapter 5, verse 2 says, But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Then you get to chapter 7, verse 3, and God hardens his heart, hardens Pharaoh's heart. See, uh, when we harden our hearts towards God, uh, God will walk away. He'll walk away. He'll do it. And we don't like to talk about that because we don't like the aspect of punishing. We like the aspect of thinking that I can run and harden my heart from God all the way to the time I'm right on my deathbed and then say, uh, forgive me and then I'll just go into glory like that. But we're not guaranteed that. We're not guaranteed that at all. And God punishes those who are in a covenant relationship with Him. And this might seem that God has abandoned these people when God does this, but God will punish those who's who is, He is in a covenant relation with them, and they disobey Him. Uh, we see this example, for example, um, Israel. You remember Habakkuk? Uh, he was he was complaining to God. He said, God, this nation is so evil. They're so wicked. You know, I can't believe that you allow all this wickedness in front of you. And uh, God responds to him. I don't know if Habakkuk was waiting for a response that day or if he just kind of went out and was complaining before the Lord. But God replies to him. and We see that in Habakkuk chapter 1, 5 through 11, where he starts going and saying, don't worry. I'm going to use Babylon to come in here. They're going to be vicious. They're going to come and wipe out Israel. Then Habakkuk kind of changes his story. You know, he's like, are you going to use a more wicked people to to judge us? God said, yeah, I am. Sometimes when God punishes us, it seems like he has abandoned us, but God uses the punishment to bring people back to himself. We see that in the book of Judges. Over and over again, Israel would sin against God, and God would send someone to persecute them, and they all of a sudden would cry out to God, they would uh, ask for forgiveness, they would repent, they would turn to God, and so the punishment caused them, the people to turn back to God. Uh, God does walk away from those who harden their heart. And what we see in Matthew is that there is this group of Pharisees that they have hardened their heart towards Jesus, and Jesus walks away. Now what's interesting about this is that as their master walks away, the disciples do the same thing. They follow the example. They don't stay around and talk with the Pharisees. They don't start to coddle them and say, maybe just let him calm down a little bit and he'll come back. And he'll, he'll give you that sign that you're looking for. He They don't do that. Their master walks away, and so therefore they walk away. They don't sit there and try to understand the other side. Their master has walked away. They're going to walk away. This, this thing is very important because there are those who reject Christ, and when they reject Christ, there's no point in wasting precious time in continuing to argue. There, there really isn't. There's so many lost people out in the world, and, and our time is so short to keep on and on and on arguing. Now, Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. He says, go out. He sends his disciples out, and he says, hey, if somebody doesn't receive you, just dust, off the, the, dust your feet off and keep on going. And we see also Paul and Barnabas practices in Acts chapter 13, verse 51. There they were preaching. The, the Jews all of a sudden came out against them. They just uh, took the dust off their feet and kept on going. Time is too short to keep on arguing with people who are hardening their hearts to God. Now, let me also give a warning. Sometimes we elevate our preferences to the level of doctrine. I I know you're like, no, we don't do that. Yeah, well, we do. Sometimes we do that. And what I'm talking about, uh, Christ is, is fully God. That's a doctrine. And then I have a preference, and I put it right up there to Christ being God. And then if somebody comes along and says, I have this preference, I'm like, I can never talk to you again. Well, a lot of churches do this. They, they draw these lines in the sand over preferences. I'm not talking about rejecting people for preferences. I'm not saying that. But there are some people that will harden their hearts towards God, and what you need to do is just keep on going and preaching to other people. Jesus walks away, verse four. The disciples, therefore, they're following Jesus. They're not going to just stay there and keep on talking. Now, as they're walking away, it says uh, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Ah, oh, there's the moment of crisis. They're over there. There's no bread stores. There's no convenience stores. What are they going to do? They have no bread. Humanly speaking, this is a, a problem. What do we want to eat? And as we see there in verse 6, uh, it, they had forgotten to bring the bread. Uh, verse 6 uh, says, And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He gives two imperatives. The first is to watch. This idea of watching carries this uh, this notion of to see, to take notice of. But it also has the idea of being uh, spiritual or mentally perceptive. It's having an an understanding of what's going on. So Jesus says, watch, and it carries this idea of of mentally or spiritually being perceptive. But he doesn't just stop with that. Uh, He gives another imperative. And that second imperative is to beware. This uh, has this idea of being in a state of alert or to paying, paying close attention. It's used a couple different times in, in Matthew. For example, Matthew 6.1. Matthew 6.1, it says, uh, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to, uh, to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So he's giving the Beatitudes, and in this preaching on the Mount, he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, he tells them, Beware, watch out, pay close attention how you're trying to live your life. Matthew 7.15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Pay attention. See those who are around you. Uh, Matthew 10.17 says, Beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. This idea of being in a state of alert or paying close attention. Now, one of these words would have sufficed you could have used just one word and it said pay attention and and they would have gotten it. But Jesus compounds both of them, which kind of intensifies what he's trying to tell them, that they really need to be on alert. And he says, what are they supposed to be alert of? Of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now here we got to use a little bit of discernment. Because if you remember in Matthew chapter 13, he's there talking about uh, different parables of the kingdom and he's talking about these parables, and he says uh, the kingdom of heaven is like uh, leaven, where a woman took three measures of flour and put it in the flour, and it ended up leavening the whole lump. Remember that? Uh, In that case, this is something very positive. But now here Jesus is talking, and he's talking about leaven, and it seems like he's saying something negative, something opposite. So how are we supposed to understand this? Is, Is he saying that leaven is bad, or what's going on? I think what Jesus is describing here is the effect that leaven has. Just like leaven affects the whole lump, the kingdom of heaven will affect everything. The the other thing is true here in that teaching, and false teaching, even though it can be just a little bit, can have a profound effect on the whole person. It's not just a little something that they hear, but it starts to eat away and go into all aspects of their life until they start letting it out. As we look at this, um, we have to watch watch who you watch. We have to watch who you watch. See, there are some pastors, there are some Bible teachers, and and they become very, very popular. They say some really neat things. They write some cool books. Uh, They've got their uh, Instagram and their Twitter and their Facebook. And I don't know if they get on next door. I, I don't. But they get on the other things. And they'll say stuff that seems really good, and you might want to even quote it, but there's a false doctrine in there that will permeate your life and influence the way you act and behave, and pretty soon you'll see that the people are acting like the people they're listening to, so they're not being conformed to the image of Christ, which is the will of God, but rather they're looking more like the person that they're following, and you have to be very, very careful with that. I've seen strong, strong, strong Christians who have been taken up with people and they fall away from the faith. And you say, "How's that happen? Because they didn't consider the effect that a little bit of leaven can have on the whole lung. Another thing, this doesn't come right from this verse, but I think I can make an application from it, is that we have to watch ourselves. You have to be on guard for yourself. See, we, uh, we speak to ourselves constantly, whether it be in the house cleaning, whether it be at the grocery store, whether it be driving around, whatever we're doing. Even now as I'm talking, some of you are probably talking to yourselves. We constantly talk to ourselves. Paul, David Tripp, says uh, we're constantly talking to ourselves, and he warns that uh, we need to be careful what we're saying to ourselves. Let's go to Philippians Chapter 4, I didn't have that verse uh, on there on the screen, so you have to turn in your Bible. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, this is so important that Paul made an exhortation about this. Uh, chapter 4 verse 8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell, that's your imperative, on these things. Be thinking, be meditating, process these things. We don't realize it sometimes, but we can start thinking in a wrong direction. We can start meditating in a wrong direction. We can start thinking about stuff that people have done to us, and rather than seeking justice through legal terms or giving it over to the Lord, we'll start to process that and think on it and think on it and think on it. And it'll start eating away and this little root of bitterness will start to sprout up. And and Paul says, hey, uh uh-uh, stop it. Put your mind on these things, on good things. Sometimes we want to act like we're the victim and when we pull out that victim card, what we're saying is, I have no responsibility. It was done to me. Now this is the effect, this is the fruit. But Paul doesn't say, well, if you're a victim, you don't have to think this way. No, he says it to everybody. Regardless of your situation, think on these things. And it's a forcing of your mind. See, a little bit of bad thinking starts to influence even the way you start to act. It starts to reflect in your countenance. Come in all, oh, how are you doing? I'm fine. <laughs> I'm good. I'm glad. I'm glad you're here today, you know. Why? because all week long they're meditating on certain things. And Paul says, no, don't, stop that. So we have to watch ourselves. Uh, Our next point is to uh, remembering the mundane. Remembering the mundane. And we see that in verses 7 through 11. It says, they began to discuss among themselves, saying, he said that because we did not bring any bread bomb, 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 right? You know, you can just imagine. They've they've connected the dots. they figured it out. Why did he say this about the Pharisees? We forgot the bread. You know, Peter, I gave you the money. I I gave it to Judas. He was supposed to go do it. Ah, you know. Here they are, they're discussing. And and the word here for discussing is is this kind of, they're, they're thinking, they're reasoning carefully, they're thinking about implications, they're considering, they're pondering, they're looking at the situation, they're trying to, Decide what in the world Jesus is saying to them, and they they think they've got it figured out. We forgot the bread. Their conscience is eating away at them. They had the responsibility to, and they dropped the ball. It's like you're going on vacation, and your one responsibility was to book the hotel, and you got all the way to the city, and you remembered you forgot to book the hotel. Boy, that car gets really cold really quick. You can have the heat on in there, and it's just like frigid, right? They, they forgot the bread, and obviously he is worried about not having any bread. I mean, Jesus is just angry, and so he's like this passive-aggressive type guy, and he's Adam, right? Far from it. Far from it. It, it says uh, Jesus asked them a question. Uh, we see there in um, verse 8, but Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread. He asked them a question so that they can start thinking, so they can start processing. They're on a, a, a wrong road. They need to get on this other road. So he asks them a question. And he says to them, he uses the word, uh, uh, ye of little faith. You of little faith. Uh, this is a, uh, one word that's found in the Greek New Testament, and it only appears in five different passages. Here's one of the passages. Another passage where it appears is in Matthew chapter six, verse thirty. It's where Jesus is talking about the uh, how God provides, and he says, "But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith?" Uh, Luke records these same words. So in Luke twelve twenty eight, you can also see that same reference. Uh, But Jesus associates the anxiety of having enough with a person's lack of faith. He doesn't blame economy. He doesn't blame education or your upbringing, but rather this anxiety that they're having for not having enough, he says, is caused by lack of faith. Matthew chapter 8, verse 26 says, And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up, and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. You remember the, the scene? They're in the boat. They're trying to cross. There's a storm. Jesus is taking a nap because that's the thing to do in a storm. And they're worried. They're rowing. They're trying to get the water out. And they finally come up to him, and they rebuke him. Don't you love us at all? Jesus uses this instance here and he associates their anxiety for their circumstances with a lack of faith. It's not that there's a terrible storm, no. The anxiety that they're having is caused by a lack of faith. The other section, the other verse that we see is Matthew 14, 31. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You have little faith, why did you doubt? You remember this situation when there was the storm, Jesus comes walking on the water, and uh, Peter says, hey, I want to get out and walk to you. And Jesus says, come on, it's, it's great out here. And Peter gets out, and he starts walking. And he gets there, and he starts looking around and takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he starts to sink. The anxiety that Peter has, and he cries out to Jesus to save him, Jesus associates with their lack of faith, not with the circumstance that he's in. I think this is very important to think about our own life, that many times the anxiety, the the ulcer that we have in our stomach, that pressure, that depression that we're feeling that we're not going to get out, really sometimes indicates more our lack of faith in Christ than our circumstance that we're living in. And it's hard to really picture it like that. But in these situations that are real physical situations, and, and this they don't have any bread, and that's a real physical situation. But the problem is that they have a lack of faith. Can Christ provide bread? You bet. Jesus says in verse 9, if you see in verse 9, he says, Do you not yet understand? There are certain words that kind of add a little bit insult to injury, right? And here in this verse, it's yet. You know, he could have just left it as, do you not understand? But he says, do you not yet understand? Do you not comprehend? It has this idea of comprehending. To to pay attention with the intent of to act appropriately. Do you not comprehend so that you can be acting appropriately? And the next question he asks is, do you not remember? Neither remember. And that's to to retain in one's mind, and one's memory. Now, Miracles are not mundane things. So, in what aspect is this remembering the mundane? Well, as we see here, Jesus calls to their attention the baskets that they picked up, the baskets of food. He says, "Don't you yet understand or remember the five thousand loaves, uh, the, the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets full you picked up? Don't don't you remember that? I'm sure in the in the time when they were doing that." Peter was like, Man, I'm a small business owner. I got my own fishing business. I don't pick up bread. I got people to pick up bread. And and not only that, but I'm a disciple of Jesus. And I'm here grabbing baskets full of bread. This is not my type of job. This is for somebody else. Or you can think about the the tax, you know, uh, I've got my own business collecting taxes, and here I am picking up bread. Yet it's through this mundane thing that had they remembered. They would say, oh, yeah. We sure did pick up a lot of bread that day, didn't we? All those baskets full. I mean, there should have been some slave. It should have been some little kid doing all that, running around. But he had us doing that. And I remember that God supplied that all from five loaves, from seven loaves. Is Christ's hand short? We forgot the loaves. Now he's using some passive-aggressive method to get at us. He's powerful, He doesn't need their loaves. He uses this moment to disciple them and teach them. Now, Jesus has a two-step disciple process. He has a two-step disciple process, and this is something that we have to be engaging in, being involved in. Uh, The first is Jesus teaches truth. Uh, At that moment, when he started asking them to bring the, the bread, and he prays for it, and he starts passing it out, that was a teaching moment of how he provides in his power. The next time, he does it again. Now with seven loaves and 4,000 people, not including women and children, he passes out the bread. He's teaching them how he can provide above and beyond of what they need. See, without Jesus, they would only have seven loaves or five loaves. But with Jesus, he provides above and beyond. Jesus teaches them his power. Step two of the process is he reminds them of the truth that he taught them. That's that's the discipleship process that Jesus has with his disciples. And that's what he teaches us to do. Now he's reminding us, don't you remember this? Have you not comprehended what this means, what this implies? Here was the lesson. Now apply it to this situation. In the discipleship process of any believer, it involves this. See, it's easy to hear something in this context and then you get home and you have something happen there, and sometimes it's hard to connect the dots. And that's where it's really good to have a community of believers that live around you that can say, hey, remember what the Sunday school teacher was saying? Oh, yeah. And it applies here. Oh, isn't that great? That's where coming to church and being in a community helps you grow in your discipleship process. To become more like Christ and less like yourself. He Reminds them of what He taught them. The third point here is understanding the lesson. Jesus is going to make sure that they understand. And it says there in verse 12, then, then they understood that He said, He did not say to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That word understood has this idea of to to grasp something intelligently, uh, but to the point that it challenges your thinking and your practice. So it's just not just makes a mental note, and you remember it, but it makes a mental note to the point that it affects the way you think on forward and the way you behave moving on. that's, That's this idea of this word they understood, is that it affected the way they started thinking and the way they started acting. It's used negatively in Matthew 13.13. In Matthew 13.13 it says, Therefore I speak to them in parables. This is Jesus talking to His disciples about the religious leaders. Because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. When Jesus was telling the parable about the the, the mustard seed going into the ground and, and growing up and birds coming to it, did the Pharisees and the religious leaders understand that? Sure, they could picture that. But they did not understand to comprehend to have an effect on the way they thought and the way they acted moving forward. Now the disciples understand. It's going to affect them. Jesus wasn't talking about bread. nor was he worried about bread? He could turn stones into bread if they needed to. Jesus is much more powerful. He can supply all the bread they need. Jesus was warning them about false teachers, about the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how it has an influence in your life, how you listen to it for just one moment and it starts to spread and you start acting and behaving and thinking on false doctrine rather than on the truths of God's Word. Now the question is, do we understand the lesson? I'm not asking here, can we picture the Sea of Galilee? Can we picture the disciples crossing and they're on the other side and they're having this conversation with Jesus? I'm not asking that. I'm not asking if we can picture what the sky was like and and the dirt and, and what would it be like? What would it feel like not having bread and you left the last bread store way back there on the other side? I'm not asking that. But rather I'm asking, do we comprehend it so that it changes our way of thinking and how we're going to be acting all this next week? and this next month, and the next six months, and for the rest of our lives? Do we comprehend what Jesus is saying here? That he provides above and beyond. To Be weary of those who teach false doctrine. The only re- way that we can know if we really have comprehended is if we go out and we think and we act differently. See, if we keep on doing the same thing, we haven't really understood the story at all. Understanding the lesson implies trusting God with our troubles. It, it, it takes a change that I'm going to hand something over to God and say He's He's more than powerful and He's sovereign. And if He decides to answer my request, so be it. And if He doesn't, so be it. Amen. Guarding yourself of false teachers. Oh, it's amazing to see how it can have an influence in your life. How it can influence the way you act and behave with other people. Just Thinking bad thoughts will lead you to treat people badly. Disciples must guard themselves of false teaching and continually remember God's grace. That's what we have to be doing. It it doesn't come easy. We we want to be thinking and and meditating on things and people that did us bad. And and we like that catchy little tweet that we saw and we want to keep on retweeting that thing over and over again but it has an influence on us. We want to be worried that maybe we don't have enough bread. And Jesus is saying, you don't need the bread. I'll take care of you. How how can we do this? How can we be remembering? Uh, One one way to be remembering what God has done for us or the character of God, uh, I would encourage you just to jot down Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is the omni-psalm. It goes through of God's omnipresence, his omniscience, and uh, his omnipotence. He's all-powerful. And David says, where can I go from your presence? I went to the depths of the sea, you're there. He says, you knew me even being in my mother's womb? Meditate on that. Read it over and over again. Meditate on these things, on this characteristics of God. You want to start thinking bad about somebody, or you heard something and Go back to Psalm 139. Meditate on God's character. Guard your mind from incorrect thinking. Let's pray. Father, if we look at this text, if we really comprehend it, it means we'll start thinking differently and being on guard for those who want to teach us. Father, there might be someone here who can't do that because they've never trusted Christ as their Savior. They are lost in their sinful condition and they have your wrath upon them. I pray, Father, that the Spirit would convict their heart and today will be the day of salvation. Father, for other of us that maybe we haven't been a good disciple, that we haven't been guarding what we've been listening to, the influences of what we've been watching, I pray that we can repent of that, be on guard. Father, I also pray that we can uh, be trusting in your power. Father, there's no need to be going through this life anxious, being of little faith. Father, help us to trust you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.